Our sermon text is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John, chapter 4. We'll finish chapter 4 today. Verse 30, sorry, 43 through 54. You'll remember that just before this, Jesus uh, had been ministering to the Samaritan woman, talking with her, and then talking with the people of her city in Samaria. And they had uh, recognized, partly from her own words, and then partly uh, from his own words, that he indeed was the Christ, the Savior of the world. So now let's pick up in verse 43 and see what happens next. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your uh, mercy and grace which raises us up from death unto life. We pray that you would strengthen and build up our faith uh, through the message that this word brings us that you would guide the preaching and its reception in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had been in Samaria, and the Samaritans had believed. And did the Samaritans see signs that Jesus did? Did Jesus do signs in Samaria? Well, he did kind of one sign. He told the Samaritan woman more about herself than she had told him. But that was one Samaritan, and many more than that believed. Some people believed because of the witness she bore. She told them about this sign that was done. And then other people, without seeing any signs, heard him directly and and believed because of what he had said, because of his words. But in Galilee, it seems that most of the Galileans would not believe unless they saw signs and wonders. I think verse 48 in this passage is kind of key, where Jesus says, uh, not just to the official, the, the word is plural, you know, so he's talking to the, about, about the people, 
He says, unless you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. And this is a little different than what he had experienced in Samaria. And this can happen uh, today as well. Rather than simply believing Jesus, uh, people can hold back and demand signs and wonders. You know, I want, I want Jesus to appear to me. I, I want to see something miraculous happen. Unless uh, something like that happens, I'm, I'm not going to believe. Some, some people can uh, feel that uh, desire. Uh, some people get distracted by a craze for signs and wonders, or at least claims of signs and wonders, or uh, prophecies of signs and wonders, uh, but ignore the word of God. Even believers can find themselves struggling with the idea of walking by faith and not by sight, of trusting Jesus and his words before the reality comes to pass, while we're still dealing with uh, the effects of the curse in this world, and we do not yet see what's uh, of the, the glory that is yet to be revealed. But Jesus is merciful, and he teaches his people to trust him and his powerful word. Uh, he did work signs. Uh, not that signs were necessarily bad, but he didn't do signs simply to dazzle people. Uh, he did signs to direct them to believe in him, and those were written down. And that is why John wrote these signs, so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and you might have life believing in his uh, name. And so these signs were written to move you to trust him. Now, where is Jesus when he is, meets this official? Did you catch that? Where Jesus is? Where is Jesus? Well, he's not in Capernaum. He is in Cana. Do you remember something that happened in Cana of Galilee? That is where Jesus did another sign. And do you know? Jesus turned water into something. Jesus, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus turned water into wine there. This is back up in the north in Galilee. He had been down for the feast in Jerusalem. And then he had come back up through Samaria and now come back to where he had been raised up in Nazareth. But he actually doesn't go to his hometown, uh, but he goes to a nearby town, uh, Cana, which is where Nathaniel was from, and it's where he had done this sign. And it's while he was in Cana that this official comes to him. Let's think about this official. This official, or we might call him a royal official, the word is kind of derived from the word for king, but it usually refers to someone in the court of a king or an official of a king. Now, who was the king in Galilee? His name was Herod, Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch. Technically, he was a Tetrarch, uh, but he was usually called a king. And he would have had officials in Capernaum. And uh, we don't know precisely which officer, but scripture actually does refer to several people that were close to this Herod. Uh, it mentions uh, Chusa, if that's pronouncing it right, uh, Herod's household manager, whose wife Joanna had been healed by Jesus and then followed Jesus and helped fund Jesus and his disciples. Could that have been this official? Uh, we don't know. Someone like him would fit this description. We also know that Acts describes Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who ended up being a prophet or teacher in the church at Antioch. 
Um, so even though Herod is the one who beheads John the Baptist, um, there were people close to him, his officials like this man, who believed in Jesus. This official, though, had a son, a son who was ill, a son who was so ill. We're not talking about a fever or a cold merely. We're talking about someone who was ill and on the point of death. This son was going to die. That's the way things looked. He was on the point of death. And so his father heard that Jesus had returned to Galilee. He had heard something about Jesus that knew that there might be hope of Jesus healing his son. And so he travels from Capernaum, that's where the official lived, to Cana, where Jesus was staying. And he asks Jesus to heal his son, to come down to Capernaum. Capernaum was down near the the Sea of Galilee. Cana was up in the hills. So come down to this town and heal my son. Well, before we go further, remember from this that the rich are not exempt from difficulties and miseries and the young are not exempt from such either Uh, the miseries of this life the threat of death is upon all mankind and jesus as the samaritan said is the savior of the world young and old rich and poor such as this official and his son jesus talks to all sorts of people he talked to Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. He talked to this uh, Samaritan woman who had been living a, a sinful life and was on the outskirts of the outskirts in Samaria. And then he also talks to this royal official uh, in Galilee. Jesus does not restrict himself to any class, rich or poor, powerless and powerful, They all need salvation from sin and misery and death. Now, there was a problem besides death. There was also the problem of unbelief, of this desire for signs that uh, that Jesus sees as a weakness of faith or an absence of faith. Probably depends on the person, but he mentions that. That's his response initially to this question. Jesus, please come down. Heal my son. You all, if you don't see any signs and wonders, you all won't believe. Now, that could be a disappointing response. The official could have been rather frustrated with that. I mean, he was an official. He probably had some authority, wasn't used to being rebuffed in such a way. But he continues. He persists in his request. He goes ahead and says, Sir, come down before my child dies. He repeats his request. Now, Jesus does not comply with that request by going down to Capernaum. But instead, what does Jesus do? He does something even better. Jesus says, go, your son will live. Or literally, your son lives. It is in the present tense. Uh, Your son lives. I think the present tense is right, that he is pronouncing this. He is doing it by saying it, uh, that your son lives. And at that moment, we'll learn later, his son did live, recover, uh, was no longer on the point of death. Jesus gives the word. But the, the trick about this, or not the trick, but the, 
The unique thing about him saying it instead of going down is that the official wouldn't know if it worked for a long time until he had traveled all the way back to Capernaum. He would have to trust Jesus. He would have to believe without seeing signs and wonders. Would he believe without seeing signs and wonders? That was the challenge. Jesus said, I don't think you're going to believe unless you see signs and wonders, at least you all generally speaking. Is this official going to believe Jesus' word and go his way and stop pestering him and just accept his word that the son will be healed without seeing anything? That's what we're called to do, right? We hear Jesus' words in scripture. We don't always see the, the effect. We wait to inherit the promises. And yet we are told to trust in the Lord Jesus, to trust the accounts, certainly the reasons, the signs that we're given in Scripture, uh, but to believe without seeing. And that is what the official did. The official did believe the word, and he did return. He did what Jesus said. He went. He went back home, believing the word, believing that Jesus, uh, what he had said was true. Now, the journey home was something like 20 miles. We're not talking about, you know, going over the hill. Uh, he didn't get there that night, apparently. The seventh hour is probably 1 p.m. And it's the next day when they're saying this happened yesterday. So he probably left. He stopped overnight somewhere. And then the next day, he meets his servants coming to get him, saying that your son is recovered. And that's when he learns that the effect had taken. Only then did he learn the effect of Jesus's Words by comparing the timing. My son recovered at the same hour, at the same time in which Jesus had said these words. And then he believed in Christ along with all his household. And the household of a royal official was probably no small thing. We know he had servants, right? They had come to meet him. We know he had a son. I mean, you know, so his wife, his children, his servants. Uh, he must have told them about what had happened so that they knew to ascribe this healing to Jesus. And so they all believe, not just in the words, but in Christ himself, that he is the Christ and that he is the Savior. Now, this story is, is somewhat similar to another one that's recounted in Matthew 8. In Matthew 8, it talks about how Jesus met a centurion in Capernaum. There was another time, it's a different occasion, but it's kind of similar, where Jesus was in Capernaum and he met a Roman centurion. And the centurion had, uh, I believe it was a servant who was ill and wanted Jesus to heal him. And in some ways it's similar, but in other ways it's different. The centurion insisted that he was not worthy for Jesus to come into his house. Even though Jesus offered to come to his house, he said, I'm not worthy. I know how authority works. You just speak the word and it'll be done. And Jesus marveled at that faith. That was strong faith. That faith like he had not seen in all of Israel. That was a great and remarkable faith to know that Jesus' word had that authority and power. Now, the royal official is a little different. His, he has uh, faith, but it grows by degrees. He has some kind of faith to approach Jesus with this request, traveling 20 miles to get there. And then he has a stronger degree of faith when he receives his word and believes it without seeing anything. 
And then it says he believes again at the end of it, where he believed Christ himself with his household. The royal official twice asks Jesus to come down to Capernaum, the opposite of what the centurion said. Come down and heal my son. Jesus does not offer to come to his house. Instead, he heals simply by speaking the word. So his faith was was weaker than the centurion's, at least at first, but his faith was called forth, was drawn out by Jesus and strengthened by this test, by this trial. We can learn several things, I think, from this sign that Jesus did. First, learn from this sign to believe the word of Jesus. The words of Jesus are powerful. He pronounces it, and it's done. He doesn't need to be here bodily. You might think it'd be great if Jesus was standing right here, but his words are just as powerful. He is with us by his grace and power and by his spirit, even now, and he raises the dead spiritually. He works powerfully to save people. His words are strong enough. And see also, secondly, that faith is strengthened by his word and by trials, uh, by the word that calls forth the faith so we can exercise our faith, uh, by the, the delay of seeing its fulfillment, which strengthens and calls forth that faith, It's like exercise. How do you get your muscles stronger? It's by using your muscles, right? Uh, Faith is strengthened as it's tested, as it's called forth by trials and by uh, giving an object to work upon God's word. And this is the instrument God uses to increase our faith so that we might grow in our confidence Thirdly, see that Jesus can fulfill prayers in ways that are different than the precise way they were requested. You might pray for something, and Jesus substantially answer it and fulfill it, but not in the way you asked for it. He asked, come down and heal my son. Did Jesus go down and heal his son? No. But do you think he was complaining at the end of it? No. The point was for his son to be healed. Uh, Jesus found a different way to do it, which was actually better overall. Jesus can do that too. He knows best. He is wise. We ought to offer our desires and petitions to God through the Lord Christ. But knowing that he is wise, he sees things that we can't see, and he knows the best way to fulfill things that are good for us. Uh, Fourthly, we learn to speak the words of Jesus in our households. As you go by the way, as you rise up, as you lie down, uh, as you lie down, (laughs) as you go about the house, as this man must have spoken the words of Jesus and told them about Jesus so that his whole household believed in Jesus, that they could believe in Jesus together and worship Jesus together. It's a biblical pattern for promises to be given to the believer and his household and for the believer to lead his household in faith and godliness, and for all of us to encourage one another that Jesus is good, his words are trustworthy, uh, that we should serve him and walk in his ways. And finally, and fifthly, learn from this sign that Jesus heals and raises those who are doomed to die. 
Uh, these signs are not just miracles in the sense that they demonstrate Jesus' power, but they're also signs. They signify something. Jesus, uh, John selected them. He had lots to choose from, and he picked these to teach people about Jesus. And we see here that Jesus, by his word, heals and raises those who are doomed to die. Now, he does this spiritually now, and he will do it bodily in the age to come. Next chapter, we'll find more details about this. In chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Just as he uh, spoke and this boy healed from his deadly disease, so Jesus speaks and we are brought to spiritual life. We are brought from being dead in our sins and trespasses, being raised to the love of God, to faith in Christ, to uh, eternal life that never ends, release from condemnation and death. But in John 5, he will go on to speak of a future time at which he will raise the dead from their tombs. And again, by his voice, he will speak and his people shall come forth to a resurrection of glory and others to a resurrection of judgment. And so when he says he lives, people begin to live. So let us believe in his words that offer salvation and life. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world. By our sins we're condemned to death, but Jesus is the Savior who brings us life and salvation. That is why he came, and by this miracle he showed his power, he vindicated his identity, and he showed what he came to do. So let us believe him. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your goodness in sending to us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation. We know that uh, our, our faith grows in degrees, that sometimes it is small like a mustard seed, and yet we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might stand fast, that we might show forth the fruits of true faith, that uh, we might know the, the joy and peace of salvation and the assurance of your love for us. We pray that you would grant saving faith uh, to those who are yet skeptical and walk in darkness, that uh, you would work powerfully not only to heal those who are sick, but to heal those who are unbelieving and raise them up to new life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.